0: So if you would turn with me to John chapter 6 and we will start our reading at verse 60, verse 60. Today we will turn our attention to a, a challenging and thought-provoking passage of scripture found in verses 60 through 71. And in this passage we Witness Jesus confronting his disciples, those who are learners. The word disciple means to learn. And so we're going to see two groups of disciples today. We're going to see a crowd of followers who were struggling to understand his teachings. At the heart of this passage is a crucial question that Jesus poses to his followers. He's going to ask them, do you take offense at this? This question serves as a litmus test for their faith and their willingness to accept Jesus' radical message of salvation. And so as we delve deeper into this passage, we will explore some of the reasons why some of Jesus' followers struggled to accept his teachings. We will examine the faith of those who remained steadfast in their belief in him. We will also examine the role of Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples who would later betray the Lord. So ultimately, this passage challenges us to examine our own faith and to consider whether we are truly willing to accept the difficult and radical teachings of Jesus. It reminds us that following Jesus requires faith, it requires Courage. It requires a continuance. It requires a willingness to trust the Lord, to trust His message of salvation, even when it is difficult to understand or accept. And so may the Holy Spirit guide us and direct us. As we consider this passage, may we be strengthened in our faith as we seek to follow the Lord. Amen? Amen. John chapter 6 beginning at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he is of the twelve was going to betray him. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would allow your word to reach us where we are. We pray that you would give clarity of mind. Pray that you would give understanding. We pray that your word will go forth with power, that your word would reach us where we are. Pray, Lord God, that you would use me, a weak man, as an instrument in your hand. Pray that all that is said and done would lead to you being glorified, honored, and obeyed. Help us to leave here changed people. Help us, Lord, to go deeper into our faith. Help us to trust you more. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is entitled The Disciples Who Heard the Words of Eternal Life. I want to begin with the first group of disciples. And again, we want to say that the word disciple disciple simply means learner. And here we're going to look at a specific group. We're going to look at the disciples who heard but did not believe. As we share the gospel, we're going to have um, encounters uh, with people uh, whom we will have the privilege of sharing the gospel. But unless God comes in and do a work in them, we will also experience that there will be some who would hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ but will not believe. And so in verse 60, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And In this verse, many of Jesus' disciples expressed their difficulty in accepting his teaching, referring to them his teachings as a hard saying. This this follows a discourse given by Jesus in the synagogue. We see that in verse 59, where he presented himself as the bread of God, the bread of life. He spoke of his impending sacrifice, his sacrificial death. The disciples in question are not the 12 apostles, but rather as a larger group. Right? The larger group of people who are attracted to Jesus mainly due to the miracles he had just done. Remember, he fed the 5,000. Remember, he caused the paralyzed man to get up, to pick up his bed, and to be able to go into the temple and worship God on his own. He had done these things, and the people wanted to see more. They even wanted him to be the king. They say we could use him. Look at the mighty works. He was able to cause bread to come out of a basket. He was able to cause a few fish, and he fed thousands. We could really, really use him. So you could see that the Lord Jesus was becoming more and more famous among the people. His Galilean ministry uh, began to uh, uh, go everywhere. People began to know about this Jesus, and they wanted to learn more from him. These disciples still had difficulty accepting what Jesus had to say because it went against their own views and beliefs, challenging them. The teachings included... Jesus giving his flesh for the life of the world, the necessity of eating his flesh and drinking his blood to have life in themselves. And the fact that man is so depraved that he cannot come to Christ for salvation unless drawn by the Father, they couldn't comprehend it. It is important to note that their struggle was not with the understanding of Jesus' words, but rather with reconciling them with their own expectations. They really wanted to do something. But Jesus was challenging them to only believe, believe that he is the means so that they might have life. So the response of some of the disciples who were offended by Jesus teaching found it found it hard to accept why because these teachings challenged their preconceived notions and revealed the depth of Jesus missions as the bread of God the savior of the world the disciples Difficulty highlights the importance of having an open heart and mind when encountering the teachings of Christ as they may challenge our own beliefs and understanding. But notice what Jesus said in John 8. He states in John 8 verse 47, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why he says you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And so next in verse 61, it says, But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? According to verse 61, Jesus is aware of not only the outward actions of those who defy or disrespect his teachings, but also the secret thoughts and feelings of individuals, even if they are not openly expressing it. This, what they're encountering is the all knowing God, He's already knowing their thoughts. And so he knows their hearts. He knows the hearts of the people and how they would respond to his teaching. Whether in acceptance, whether in joy, whether in rebellion or resistance, this serves as a reminder that Jesus is aware of our innermost thoughts and feelings, making it important to be mindful of our attitudes and responses to his teachings. Jesus' divine knowledge Unlike the prophets who sometimes receive divine revelation, Jesus poses inherent divine knowledge as the word of God. He knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart without needing external information or indicators. He doesn't need any assistance. He can look out into the crowd and he can read man's heart. Talking about God incarnate. And so this shows and emphasizes the unique and divine nature of Jesus, who understands and who discerns our thoughts even when we don't express them. And in verse 62, it states, he states, then. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's as if Jesus says He's been He's been talking about Himself as the bread of life that came down from heaven, and how those who believe in Him will have eternal life. However, some of the people listening to Him were still skeptical and questioned how he could make such claims. They still wondered. Jesus responds to their doubts by saying that only those who are drawn by God can come to him and believe in him. And so in verse 62, Jesus posed a hypothetical question to the crowd, asking them what they would think if they saw him ascending to where he was before, and that's the Lord giving us a little bit more information about who he is he's, he's literally saying that i've come on i've come here, and i've put on flesh, but essentially I am eternal. I am the one true God, and so Jesus posed this hypothetical question to the crowd, asking them what they would think if they saw him ascending to where he was before. This is a reference to his divine nature and his preexistence before his incarnation. Jesus is essentially saying that if they could see him in his true form as the son of God, who came down from heaven to save humanity, it also challenges them. That if they could see him in his true form, would they have no doubt about his identity and his authority? This verse reveals that Jesus is not just an ordinary human being, but rather the Son of God who came down from heaven to save humanity. And so Jesus is challenging them. What would this mean to them if he did these things? Would they still follow him? As if the Lord is saying, what else do I have to do for you to believe? However, these disciples were not listening. And the reason they weren't listening because they didn't have the spirit of God living in them without God, no one has life. Verse 63, it says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Here we see the doctrine of the Trinity is expressed here. We've already heard about the Father's work in salvation. We've heard about the Son's work of salvation. The Son says that I can't do anything apart from the Father. For what I, what my Father does, I do also. My Father has life in Himself; I have life. And here now we see the Spirit of God. We see the Triune God at work here. And in verse sixty-three, Jesus explains the Spirit's work in salvation. Jesus says, "The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and." life. Nicodemus didn't understand this either. He thought about the new birth from a human perspective, but Jesus tried to explain to him that there are no works for him to do. Rather, he must believe in Jesus in order to be born of the Spirit. Turn with me to John chapter 3. We could see it there beginning at verse 5. and here the lord is explaining to nicodemus about his need to be born again and even nicodemus is trying to do something that he might earn his salvation he's trying to use his knowledge his means his ability his strength his power but notice what jesus says truly truly Beginning at verse 5, John chapter 3, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, regeneration must happen by way of the Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's why we can't add any works to our salvation. And it says, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born Again, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so, in verse 63, Jesus emphasizes that it is the Spirit who gives life, not the flesh. This means that. Physical things like food, material possessions, or even our own efforts cannot provide true and lasting life. Instead, it is the Holy Spirit who brings to us new life in Christ. Jesus goes on to say that his words are spirit and life meaning that his teachings are not just words but they carry the power of the holy spirit and brings new life to those who believe and those who receive him overall jesus is teaching us that true life comes from the holy spirit and it is from his words he says i am the way the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus' words carry the power of spirit of the Spirit and brings new life to those who would believe. And so, as believers, we must remember our hope of eternal life. We're given this comfort that this this world and all that is in it, it, it's not the end for us. We look forward to that promised hope that the Lord has given to his disciples. That where I am, you may be also. We have great comfort that one day all of the trials and tribulations will, will go away and every day will be joy and peace and comfort. We can live in that reality we must remember that our, we have our hope, a hope that is eternal. And we see this in Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. Verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hatred by others, and hating one another. But When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Christ Jesus our Lord, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We've been given this eternal life that has this eternal hope. We're not a people that are hopeless. We're not to get caught up in the world. The world struggles with having to live this life without hope. Scripture reminds us that we're not to live like that. Why? Because we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We worship the almighty God and the things of this world does not disturb his plan. The Lord will continue to work out Our salvation in us. But salvation is impossible apart from Christ. It's impossible. Salvation is not something that we can earn. It is a gift. It is not bought. It is is bought by him. But we can't purchase it. it, it It's been bought by his blood. It is not received by any works done in the flesh. The works of the flesh also could be known as works righteousness. Anything that we would use to somehow gain a good standing with God is unacceptable because His standard is perfection. And none of us can obtain that perfection through our own doing. And so... One must believe in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone gives us life to all those who would believe. And so if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Scripture demands us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order that we might be saved. And so I encourage you here today to put away any effort of trying to fix yourselves that you might present yourselves holier to God or more righteous put that away stand on the sure footing the rock the one who is called Christ and trust in the work that he has provided for you and be saved what's the the what's the continuous theme that we see so far in This chapter, God is saying to the people that you must believe. Belief is the thing that causes life to come to us, eternal life. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way we're going to be saved. Is by trusting in what he has done and that he has died for all sin. That means conception to the grave. He paid for it all. The Lord himself said it is finished. And so he said, those who want to come, come. Be saved. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him. One must believe that he is the savior of the world. Not only did he die for sin, but the scripture says he was buried and rose again. Conquered sin. So that means that when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't lose that. You can't do anything to somehow lose your salvation. He wants us to repent and to turn again to him and begin worshiping him. That's the life of the believer is that we begin to see better. As we look into the word of God, we begin to see ourselves for who we are. And we begin to trust God more. We begin to depend upon him more. And we begin to love him more. Become a practice. It becomes a need. God becomes attracted to us. And then we begin to wanting him more. And more. But you know what? It is a tragic loss to to disbelieve in God. Oh, how terrible that would be for someone to be so close to having him as Lord and Savior, but just allow him to slip out, never knowing him, but forever being distant and forever separated from him For all eternity. Don't be the one. They were, these disciples were around the truth. They were around the one who brings life, but they never received him. What a tragedy to have the one who is eternal, the one who can fix us. The only one the Mighty God, the wonderful Counsellor, notice what the Lord says, but there are some of you who do not believe. they had learned a lot of the truths that were found in Scripture, but what does all of that matter anyway? if we do not believe, if we do not trust the Lord, if we do not. Continue. If we don't run through the tape to the finish line, it matters that we endure to the end, right? So when Jesus spoke about being the bread of life and the necessity of eating his flesh and drinking his blood to gain eternal life, some of his disciples struggled to understand and accept this teaching. We see it all the time when we share the gospel. Uh, the scripture will explain th- explains, uh, things that are more descriptive language and people will take that literally. And what we see is we see this divide. We see a wall coming up because they're taking things that are literal that was only meant to be spiritual. And that's what Jesus was trying to help them to see. And so some of his disciples struggled to accept this teaching. They considered it a hard saying and questioned who could listen to it, right? But remember, Jesus used metaphorical language to describe the necessity of believing in him. And that's how we're to interpret Scripture. We're to understand the genre in the way that the writer meant it. Right? We interpret scripture according to how the writer meant it. So, if the writer was using metaphorical language, we're to understand that. And we're to take out of it it, the, the spiritual significance of what's being taught. And so, Jesus uses this kind of language to describe the necessity of believing him. He says, you must eat my flesh. You must drink my blood. In other words, I am the sustenance for life, spiritual life. The disciples' lack lack of belief in Jesus as the Messiah played a significant role in their inability to accept his teachings. If they had truly believed that Jesus was the promised Savior, they would have been more willing to embrace his words, even if they seemed difficult or challenging to comprehend. Instead, they allowed their doubts and misunderstandings to overshadow their faith, leading them to question and even reject The Lord's teaching. So the statement emphasizes the importance of having faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And when we genuinely believe in Him, we are more likely to trust His teachings and seek to understand them even when they are challenging or seem obscure. Faith enables us to look beyond limited understanding and trust in Jesus' divine wisdom, knowing that he is the source of truth and salvation. Jesus states in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so, we see that it is a tragic loss to to disbelieve in God. But Jesus, he knows his audience. He's the all-knowing God. He is the omniscient one. Jesus knows all things. The text goes on to say, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. What we see here is the inability of knowing God apart from Christ. In verse 65 it goes on to say and he said this is why you that know this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the father. In this passage, the reason some disciples did not believe in Jesus' teaching is explained the arm of the Lord had not been revealed to them. Jesus states in verse 65 that, that no one can come to him unless it is granted by the Father. This refers to the earlier statement in verse 44 where Jesus mentions that only those drawn by the Father can come to him it highlights the importance of god's grace in enabling individuals to have faith and believe in Jesus. So the connection between these verses demonstrate that God is the one that is drawing people to himself He's the one that is drawing people to, them, to himself by giving them the necessary grace, the necessary strength, and heart to come to him and be saved. Without this divine intervention, humans in their fallen state are morally incapable of, of seeking Jesus on their own. We learn that in Ezekiel 37, that's as dead as anyone could get, so dead that the bones were dry, right? That's who we once were until the Spirit regenerated us and gave us life. And when we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, we said yes. It's because God's grace overwhelmed us. And we heard the truth. And the scripture says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. A dead man and a dead soul cannot hear the truth of God's word. And so we are dependent upon the spirit when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not to hang our heads down when life is not happening. We just want to be consistent with what the Word says, and we want to seek and continue to depend upon the Spirit's work to cause life in those we share the gospel with. And so, it's important that God's grace helps us when we share the gospel. Um, As Jesus is fully aware of the Father's works and gifts, he knows who truly believes in him and who does not. And and this divine intervention is necessary due to the moral inability of humans in their fallen state. Only through the Father's guidance can individuals come to Jesus truly and believe in him. But notice the response from those who started out as disciples of Christ, but did not endure to the end. Notice what they would say in verse 66. It states, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, why is that it? Why is that? It's because they weren't truly born again. Right? Right? In this verse, the term disciple refers to the larger group of followers, not the 12 apostles. After Jesus delivered a challenging teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum, remember that's where they were, where he spoke about himself being the bread of life, the necessity of eating his flesh, so forth and so on. As a result of that discussion, they decided that it was too much. And we see it also, even in the church, that people feel like it's too much and they don't continue in following the Lord Jesus Christ. So this verse highlights the reality that some people might start start out. They may seem to be drawn to Jesus, but for what reason? For what reason? Well there are various reasons such as some people have seen the miracles and they follow but they may not be willing to accept his more challenging teachings See this serves as a reminder of importance of a strong unwavering faith in Jesus even when his teachings challenge our preconceived notions or understanding We still must continue to believe. Next, we have the response of the 12 disciples. These were, uh, we're going to see this in the next section, really, this whole next section. is really about the disciples who heard, who believed, and received eternal life. So until we see ourselves hopeless and in need of Christ, we will never come to him. We will never come to him. In verse 67, the Lord draws out um, his disciples in order to set their allegiance with God according to the promises that come only through faith in himself. The text says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And and there's, there's no middle ground, right? When it comes down to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's no middle ground, we're either in or we're out. We're either going to be drawn closer to God or we're going to push him away. And we see it here. So, for some of the disciples, this meant it was time to go because The world and the flesh were more attractive to them than the words of eternal life that flowed from the Lord Jesus Christ. They were more concerned about what was out there than having communion with the Lord. They failed to realize that whatever was under the created order was still missing the creator. But when one has the creator, one has it all. One has everything. When we have Christ, we have it all. But we have to believe because we too will miss out on the many promises that God has given us. Every day, that means that when we go to work, it means that when we're taking care of the children, it means that when we are on the freeway, it means that when we're on in the grocery store, we must pledge our allegiance with God and never walk away, never be ashamed. And if we do, the beauty is God has given us the means to be brought back, In right relationship with him through repentance. God is rich in mercy. That means that when we sin, we can't spend it all. I don't want to go. I mean, I I failed yesterday. (laughs) Right? We we could feel like that, right? Well, we just keep falling on our faces. But the Scripture says that God was rich in love, right? In other words, we can't do anything to cause God not to love us. And what a beautiful picture that is, that God loves us even though we fail him often. So how would you answer that question? Do you want to go away as well? Here's the proper response. Notice what Peter said, beginning in verse 68. It states, Simon Peter answered him, Lord. Okay, so he begins with recognizing that God is Lord. He calls him by name, Lord. To whom shall we go? Right? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Our only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be saved. We're to believe in him through the life He has within himself as the son of God. Sometimes it will seem hard to embrace what God is asking us to do. But if we understand that he's Lord, we don't mind going. Whatever it might cost us. Because we know that God is perfect and he does not make mistakes. But we must have the willingness to trust him. And so sometimes it will seem hard to embrace the hard sayings of Jesus. But this is our opportunity to be a witness to the truth. Despite how difficult it might sound. We might feel like life is hard. But for us to believe, we know that there is a cost to discipleship, right? And so we can acknowledge that there will be difficult times in our lives. There will be teachings that will be hard to understand, but we must approach them with an open heart and a willingness to learn more about what God is teaching us. Right? Rather than complain about the circumstance and the issues we are in, we can say, God, What do you want to do about this? How do you want me to move? Where do you want me to go? Help me to understand what it is you want me to know. But God, here's the one thing. I am willing to go wherever you want me to go. Because as long as you're in control, I know that I can have peace that surpasses all understanding. And I can rest in that. Reality. So, when you're confronted with challenging, the challenging things that are found in Scripture, what will you do? We ought to approach them prayerfully, asking the Holy Spirit for guidance and understanding. We shouldn't be offended by what the Scripture says. We ought to have a willingness to accept whatever the Lord says. Why? Because he said it, right? It's because he said it that gives it power, that makes it more meaningful. Peter and the disciples declared it in verse 69 when he said, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It doesn't mean that they didn't struggle with some of the things that these other disciples struggled with. It just means that they had their their minds made up despite the difficulty, despite how hard it was going to be. They had their minds made up to serve the Lord their God. So the Lord expects us to embrace the difficulty of this life by putting our faith in Him through personal commitment, when we hear something from the Scriptures that is hard to receive. And so that requires a personal declaration of faith. We see that with Peter. We must be active in seeking to understand and apply what we have learned from the Lord through the Scriptures. So growing in the Lord requires spiritual maturity in a pursuit of deepening our relationship with God. To do this, we must seek guidance. We must pray for wisdom and discernment as we engage challenging passages within the scriptures. We are to reach out to spiritually mature men and women for insight and understanding. And it will benefit us if we are intentional about our spiritual growth. In other words, we need to set aside some time to spend with God so that we might feed our souls. We do it physically, we, we're, we're counting carbs, right? Um, we're fasting, right? Uh, we're, we're getting on the scale to see how much we weigh, right? We, we do this physically for the outward appearance. How much more should we do it inwardly for that man, that inward man that will live for eternity? What kind of investment are we giving our souls? That's a question that we all must answer. We must be intentional about our spiritual growth. We should regularly engage in the scriptures, Bible study and prayer, fellowshipping with other believers to grow in our understanding of Jesus' teaching to deepen our relationship with him and with the family of God. We are a family. And in order for us to grow and to have relationship with one another, we must spend time with one another. We must invest. We must be intentional just as we're doing right now. I'm not saying we're not doing those things, but I'm just reminding us of what we ought to do. And those of us who are not as engaged, I want to encourage you to plug in somewhere so that you might grow, so that you might feed off the table. The Lord have laid out for us a table where we can all eat and be full. And so don't pass up the table that the Lord have given us. Help us to let us take advantage of the means of grace. We must also Trust in Jesus at all times when confronted with difficulty. Let us remember Peter's declaration of faith. Trust Jesus. Trust the Holy One of God, the source of eternal life. Let us live out our faith in Christ by applying the scriptures daily, even when it's challenging or countercultural. In other words, we don't follow the world, right? We want to follow in step with what Scripture commands of us. Let us be examples of Christ, right? With Christ-like love and commitment in all of our relationships and actions. In other words, I need you and you need me, right? We need each other. And so... We want to live out our faith by applying this. Also, we want to be consistent to do this by encouraging others with sharing our journey with an understanding, acknowledging the difficulty that obedience brings with fellow believers. Let us encourage one another to persevere in faith and seek spiritual growth together. Our faith is not meant For us to go at life alone. We're to share so that others might be in prayer for us. We're a family. We're one. Let unity remain with us. Only those that are chosen by the Lord can come to him. Listen again to verse 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you? The twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So this passage takes place after Jesus had been doing all of the things that they have seen the miracles, and all of the people who have started out but is no longer with them anymore. He says, though people started following him, some of his followers became disillusioned and began to leave. And Jesus then turns to the 12. Right? So there was the crowd, and they said, we're done. They lift up their hands and they went out. And then Jesus looks at the 12. And then he says this, Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and asks if they also want to leave him. And Peter makes this statement. And in response to Peter's statement, where will we go, Lord? Jesus reminds his disciples that he had chosen them. But then he reveals that one of them is a devil. Uh, Seems like strong language, right? He didn't say one of you. Uh, is a non-believer, right? He, He went so far to call him a devil, right? And we must see sin and evil in that same light, in that same way. In other words, we're not to participate in it. The scripture says, shun even the presence of evil, right? And so this is This is a practice that we want to make sure that we're protecting ourselves and we're not allowing evil to come in. In other words, we want to fortify the walls with truth and righteousness so that the ways of the world cannot get over into our lives, causing us to stumble. So um, this passage reminds us that his disciples, that he had chosen um, even amongst that small group who seemingly was following him, he says, there's a devil amongst you. And he's referring to Judas, who was one of the 12. And the interesting thing is when Jesus was at the table and he said that one of them will betray him, all the disciples said, Lord, is it I? Right? So, in other words, Judas was not easily recognized. Right? He wasn't easily recognized. But the Lord called him out because he knew who will be saved. He knew who he had chosen, those whom he had chosen. And so these verses highlight the tension and the conflict that Jesus faced even amongst his closest followers. Can you imagine the Lord still being about the father's business, even knowing that there was a devil amongst the twelve? He was consistent. He was intentional about honoring the father doing the Father's will, how much more should we be faithful to God despite our surroundings? It's a reminder to us as well. It it underscores the importance of being chosen and called by God. Jesus had chosen and called his disciples to follow him. I'm going to close with this as we reflect on, on this passage, we see that Jesus' teaching on the bread of life was difficult for some of his followers to accept. Some of them grumbled and walked away while others remained, but struggled to understand the depth and meaning of his message. And we can relate to the struggles of these followers as we also are faced with the challenges and difficulties in our own faith journeys. We may not always understand God's plan for our lives and we may question the teaching or what God is asking us to do, particularly when they challenge our own beliefs and values. But just as Jesus chose and called his disciples, he also chooses and calls each one of us to follow him. And just as He was patient and compassionate with his followers. He is also patient and compassionate with us, even when we struggle to understand what's going on. Moreover, we see this passage that even those who were closest to the 12 were not immune to doubts and temptations. But what do you do with that is the question. When doubts come in, when temptations come in, we need to reaffirm our faith. With the word of God, we need to be reminded of the promises that God has given us. And so this shows us that we have to be careful. We too are vulnerable to sin and must remain vigilant in our faith as we leave today. Let us hold on to the words of Peter when he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. May we remain steadfast in our faith, trusting in the words of Jesus and the salvation that he offers. And may we remember to extend patience and compassion to our fellow believers, just as Jesus did to his followers. Let us pray.